Oh, Brian, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Thick and Thin Podcast. As always, it's me, Anthony Cardoza. Now, today, guys, we're going to have a recovery episode, which means we're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about um, a relapse for me. We're going to talk about rehabs, give you sort of the ins and outs. And also, I just want to be clear, guys, when we do these episodes on recovery, I'm targeting people that, first of all, I think everybody in some way, shape, or form has been directly or indirectly affected by someone's alcoholism or drug drug addiction, right? In different ways, maybe minor capacity, maybe someone you're dating's dad's an alcoholic, whatever the case is. So we're just trying to bring light to a situation that's sort of fallen under the cracks these days, especially with COVID going around and the lack of meetings and the options are greatly diminished for addicts out there and the number of people that die every year from alcoholism, from pills, from overdoses is astronomical. So we're just trying to put some knowledge out there. If you're not an addict, hopefully out of this you can get some sort of empathy for the situation. Um, if you're struggling with addiction, hopefully this will help you point you in the right direction to get some help. And maybe if you're about to teeter over into that area, it'll kind of pull you back a little bit. Because there is a way before you... Before you fall into the the ocean, there's that little boat that you can kind of ride on and you can pull yourself back to shore, which is a horrible analogy, but let's just, <laughs> let's just say, because once you're in that deep water, there's no going back. There's no, there's all these sayings too that they, they tell you in AA, once a pickle is a pickle, it can't go back to being a cucumber. Pretty much saying once the addiction part of your brain has started going, there's no going back. There's no, I'm not going to drink hard liquor anymore. I'm just going to drink beer. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, shoot opiates. I'm just going to ingest them. There's always something that addicts try to do to lessen the severity of the situation, but it's all going to be in vain in the end result. Right? So... The whole point of this is just to try to help people understand the situation because it's a very complex thing because it involves people and people are very complex, crazy fucking creatures, right? Okay, so let's get into it. So my instinct, guys, is to sort of shield myself from outside judgment, outside you know, from hearing it from people that don't really know my situation, there's a lot of people that can see me drunk somewhere and what's, what's wrong with this guy? He needs to stop. And they don't understand that the kind of torture and the, the pretty much the sadness that my brain is going through and how much pain I'm in, right? They only see me just kind of laughing and doing whatever I can to drown in that situation. So it's very complex. And I wish recovery was a straight line. Right, You start from point A and you go to point Z. Unfortunately for me, or for some people it is too. Some people get into the program, they never just drink again. They never have those urges. They never have anything. That, that's fine. Great. Good for you. Mine's not like that. Mine is always trying to, as a person, I'm always trying to go back to that comfort zone. And for me, that comfort zone is alcohol. Because I, I can't talk about the biggest part of what happened because it's not my story to tell. So unfortunately I have to leave that part out. So I'm just going to give you the other half. Okay. 
so my father's passing was you know very unfortunate and something that i could have never prepared myself for but when he did die he gave me specific instructions what to do with his ashes and with all this other stuff piling up that sort of tipped me over to where i was just tired of doing things for other people and i wanted to be left alone and i wanted to get be selfish pretty much and me being selfish is never a good thing right so i went home i started drinking after a few days, my body, it's so destroyed from alcohol. I have a history of kidney failure. I have a history of swollen spleen. I have a history of pancreatitis. I have a history of um, tears in my esophagus, you know, throwing up blood, all kinds of stuff like that. All kinds of horrible things that have happened to me. And when I'm completely out of other options, I still jet to alcohol because it's my safety net. It's my safety blanket. I think of it a lot, too, as uh, somebody that's either fought a lot or never fought before. You're going to have an instinct. Anytime there's a physical confrontation, you're going to have an instinct. It might be to push somebody. It might be to grab their hair. It might be to throw your right hand, left kick, whatever it is. We have instincts that are ingrained in us that just pop, they just pop out, right? And when you're in the ring, a lot of times trying to hone those instincts to be something else, jab, cross, hook, low leg kick, whatever the case is. Just to be mixing it up and go against what you naturally want to do, which is put your chin up, get away from the punch, that sort of thing, right? We fall into these patterns of, you know, uncontrollable just reactions where it just goes to it. And that's how alcoholism is for me. I spent majority of my life being drunk and dealing, my coping mechanisms were alcohol. Someone died, I drank, you know whatever the situation called for. I remember when my, my sister passed, we, my brother came over, we went to the liquor store, we got an 18 pack and we just sat there quietly. Well, my pops, he was, he didn't drink. So he was just crying in the room. Me and brother just sitting there nodding our heads, drinking, smoking cigarettes. That was our coping mechanism. But the thing is with drinking, you're not actually dealing with the problems. You're just sort of sedating them. Cause that's what it is. Sedative, right? So you sedate those kind of things. And then later on, they're going to come out, whether it's something most likely going to be negative, which for me, it was a lot of physical confrontation, uh, having a chip on your shoulder, walking around like an asshole, that sort of thing, right? If you have healthy skills, you sort of go through those grieving processes where you deal, you accept, you know, you're angry, whatever the case is. I forget what the hell they are, (laughs) but denial, whatever it is. So having those mechanisms will help you solve those problems. Now, for me, just spending most of my life being a drunk, when things are falling apart around me, my tendency is to go to something where I just turn everything off. And that's not healthy. And I've learned that. And I've learned a better way to live. And I'm grateful for it. But, nonetheless. (laughs) So what happened was, I started drinking. A few days later, my body shuts off. Right? There's a problem. Now, you can't go to the hospital and be like, I was drinking. I need to be sober. They'll just send, they'll say you need to go to detox facility, something like that. Most of the time they'll send you away unless something's uh, physically wrong with you, which at this point it wasn't. So we start calling places, uh, detox facilities, stuff like that. We get into a detox facility and they say, if you come today right now, we can get you in. So I'm more than willing. I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I go. And anytime you're going to go to a facility, it's terrifying because 
A, you don't know what kind of people are going to be involved in. B, you're withdrawing from either drugs or alcohol and your sensors are shot. Your anxiety is super high. You're physically, morally, spiritually diminished. You're just a shell of yourself. So going in there, filling out tons of paperwork, checking in, meeting your roommate, it's all stressful, right? And then also just admitting you need help is a very defeating feeling for me, I know. So we go to this facility. This place, it looks great on the outside, but this is the first time I had gone to a facility through Medi-Cal. And when you go through facilities for detox, for example, which is, you know, anywhere from three to 10 days, it could be $3,000 to about $5,000. Some are generally in there for a good one, right? But I didn't have that money this time because I had just paid the taxes and lost a bunch of money. It was very stressful. So I had to go through my insurance. Now, when you go through Medi-Cal, <laughs> when you go through Medi-Cal-based programs, they're very bad. A lot of places you go, they'll actually be using drugs in there because someone forced them to or it's a position of their parole. A lot of jails and stuff like that are linked up with Medi-Cal. In turn, when you go to these Medi-Cal facilities, you get sort of this more prison-esque type of vibe to it, right? So first when I go in, they do a cavity search on me. And I'm making jokes with the guy, you know, he, he's like, okay, you got to lift your sack, squat down, that sort of thing. While I'm naked, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> you know? So I do that. And then the girl comes in she's like, okay, did you do your inspection? I'm like, yeah, but did you have to use so many fingers? I'm just making jokes. Everyone's kind of laughing. So then they defied you in the West side or East side. Okay. This is how it was on the East side is where they put all the black guys and all the Asian guys. On the west side is where they put the white guys and they put the Mexican guys. So I'm on the west side. So they take me in. They put me on the west side. I go in. There's about 20 racks right next to each other. And my room is right next to the bathroom. So I put my stuff down. I unload. Right away, people start asking me, like, what's, what, am I, what's, what am I withdrawing from? If I bang, that kind of shit for reals. This is all real. So it's seriously like county, right? They separated us. You got your 20 guys on this side, 20 guys on that side. You have a smoke deck area and a TV room, and that's it. There's no meetings, which usually when you go to a facility, they have meetings, they have therapy. They try to get to the bottom of what's going on and then set you up for when you leave, boom, you have a healthy, a healthy recovery plan in order. So this wasn't like that at all. So right away, I'm just like, fuck, this is going to be rough. So I take my bed, which is right next to the bathroom. I put my stuff down. I lay down. Right away, someone walks through, goes in the bathroom, and just starts bombing it up. You can hear everything because my bunk is right next to the bathroom. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be the symphony I go to sleep to every night, you know? The symphony. <laughs> so after about five or six hours, I go to the, there's a window where the nurses are, and I say, hey, I haven't got any medication yet. My anxiety super high. My side's starting to hurt. Like, is there something you could do? And they just ignore me. Completely ignore me. You need to go sit down. I'm, at this point, I'm, I'm very upset. I've already been there for six or seven hours prior to this. And now I've been there for five hours just sitting around waiting, waiting around my bed. It's getting late. It's about 12 o'clock at night. 
I go outside. There's a guy smoking a cigarette. So I start smoking a cigarette. Everyone's really cool there because everybody knows what everybody's going through. Nobody wants to be there. This is fucking horrible experience. We all fucked up. We all know that. So everyone's super nice to each other. Uh, sorry, you're going through this. Oh, you're withdrawing. They see me like sort of shaking and my body's sweating profusely and I'm starting to like gag and stuff like that. So one of the guys gives, gives me a cigarette. Smoke a couple cigarettes with this guy. Start shooting the shit with him. Super cool guy. So I'm hanging out with these, him and a couple dudes outside. And then I go back in. I ask again for my meds. Now it's about 2 in the morning. The lady tells me same thing. And then I start to kind of get into it with her a little bit. I'm like, look, I understand that you have a difficult job. But I'm really in a lot of pain right now. And there's no way I could lie down because my brain is racing. My, my, my anxiety is level 10. So... She dismisses me. Next day goes by. I don't sleep at all that night. Next day comes up. We go to breakfast. I can't eat anything. I can't drink anything. What happens to your body a lot of times is you become physically dependent on alcohol. And at that point, unless you have alcohol in your body, or even sometimes when you do have alcohol in your body, one or two things happens. You drink and you start to feel normal. Your anxiety will die down. But if your pancreas starts to swell up, the second anything goes in your mouth, any water, alcohol, Food, anything like that, your body will throw it up because it can't uh, break it down. So I start to throw up a lot, a lot, like violently, painfully, where the guys that are in there start asking, are you okay, man? They get a nurse. The nurse comes in there. She's like, oh, we're going to, like, are you okay? And I'm, I said, yeah, something's wrong, though. I could feel when my internal organs, because I've had it, this happen a few times. You know, I've OD'd. I've ended up in the hospital, swollen this, swollen that. I know what something's wrong. So I come back out and I say to the nurse, and at this point now, from vomiting, not eating, not sleeping for a few days, I'm really, really weak. Noticeably weak. I'm hunched over, sort of Mr. Burns style. I'm sweating, I'm shaking. And I say, hey, something's wrong. I still haven't got any medication. This bitch gives me three Tylenols. Now, they're supposed to put you on anti-seizure medication. They're supposed to put you on some type of benzo, like a volume, a Xanax, something like that, so that you don't go into seizures because you could die from alcohol withdrawal. And the funny thing about rehab is when you go in, one guy I was talking to, right? I go outside, I sit down, I smoke a cigarette. He comes in and he goes, how's everybody here? I said, everyone here is super chill. He's like, cool. And I said, what are you withdrawing from? He said, from smoking fentanyl, shooting heroin, and taking benzos. And I was like, man, that shit's rough. He's like, yeah, but you're withdrawing from alcohol. You know, you, I can't die from this shit. You can. And he gives me the rest of his cigarette. And I was just like, whoa, what a fucking nice guy. But it just goes to show you the, it feels so stupid going somewhere for alcohol, but it's one of the worst withdrawals. So I'm starting to, to limp around. I'm starting to lose my step. I, my eye, my vision's starting to go blurry. And I'm telling them all this. They give me some Atlanta to coat my stomach and they're like, you just need to eat breakfast. So we go to breakfast. I eat, throw up violently, go to lunch. I eat, throw up violently. And I'm just, I just am pretty defeated at this point. I've got no medical help. I've got nothing. So I go sit down. Finally, the, the doctor comes in and says, here, this is going to be for your anxiety. They gave me the, a really low dose of something, but it helped. It calmed me down. It stopped my stomach from sort of uh, pulsating. And I just was able to sit there and I was like, thank God. This guy named Brad, who's he was in there for depression, suicide. He's a really good dude. He starts giving me cigarettes. So me and him sit out there and we smoke probably like 10 cigarettes back to back. 
and I told, and I had no money. I had no cash. They told me not to bring cash. But the only way you can get drinks or cash or candy or anything like that is from the this commissary that you had to you get two runs a day. You can go at 12, you can go at 5:30. So I couldn't make either of those. So I can't form numbers in my head either. They have a payphone there. So I start calling people collect. I call my buddy Brett, he doesn't answer. And then I call my buddy Noodles. And Noodles answers and I tell him the situation. He's just completely thrown off, right? Because I've been sober for so long. He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you were doing so... I'm just like, yeah, trust me. I'll explain to you later. Can you send me 60 bucks? So he does. And they basically charge it as if it's a transaction. And they give you these little vouchers so that you could use them. So I buy two packs of cigarettes. I give those away. I get a pack for myself. I get a Gatorade. I go to the back. I start smoking cigarettes. They go to dinner. I'm, I'm At this point, I'm, I already know. There's no point in me going to dinner. I'm just going to vomit everywhere. So I just sat there. Kept smoking cigarettes, kept drinking Gatorades, trying to drink water. I go see the nurse. She said, you need to eat. You need to drink. You need to keep doing that. It's going to feel like you don't want to, but you have to. And I told her, I said, look, my body's got a history of pancreatitis. This is, something's wrong here. It's not just me not wanting to drink water. So anyway, I down the Gatorade, throw that up violently, and now blood's starting to come out. So I say, look, this is wrong. This is wrong. I need to see a doctor. I need to see something, someone other than you because you're not fucking helping me. So they send me to the doctor. I have to wait around for two, three hours. And I go to the doctor. He's talking about COVID with me. And he's like, you need to put your mask over your nose because you have to wear a mask everywhere. And so on top of all this, there's COVID. <laughs> so he's talking to me about COVID and how you can get it really easy if it goes to your nose and this and that. And I'm just like, motherfucker, like I'm dying over here. And he starts telling me, you need to drink more water because if it hurts in your stomach right here, this and that. And then he closes my file. He goes, or I can just call the ambulance and you can go to the, you can go to the uh, hospital down the street. And I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. And he was kind of like, what? I said, yeah, I know my body. Something's wrong. And I need to go to the hospital. He was like, okay. So he, he writes something down. They fill out the forms. Everybody sort of shit talk. Oh, sorry. So right before this, I go after I go to the commissary, I walk back, I pass out. I completely went black and I, I fucking fell hard. This old big cholo picks me up. He's like, all right, dog, it's okay, man. Like, <laughs> so everybody, everybody saw me there because we all line up together to go to the commissary. So everyone saw me go down like a sack of potatoes. Then I went to the back. And that's when I just sat there and smoked cigarettes. So they, they start acting like I'm faking it, right? They're like, this guy's fucking full of shit, whatever. So the doctor, so the guy that uh, comes to the doctor's office to take me to the hospital, he's like, hey, we're going to go real quick. We'll be back in 20 minutes. It's no big thing. He's just going to get released, checked out, like basically saying I'm being a bitch. I'm just like, okay. So I tell the guy that I'm going to the hospital. I'm just like, hey, man, uh, I'll be back. I'm going to the hospital. So we go to the hospital. They have the whole COVID quarantine thing where you have to go through this tent. You sit there. They check you. You wait, and then they let you into the hospital. And then there from they, they admit you right when the doctor touched my side, he's like, something's wrong. So we immediately put me in a cat scan. Boom. Turns out my pancreas, it's your pancreas is supposed to be somewhere around 300, um, LPOs or something like that. That's the way they, they measure it. Mine's over 4,500. So my number was staggeringly high and my pancreas was staggeringly inflamed and it's very serious situation. So, they immediately give me some morphine for the pain and they put me on these fluids and they cut off all my food and all my drinks. 
because that's how they treat it. Now, while I'm there, they call my insurance and say, your insurance can't cover you. We need to send you to San Gabriel. So I'm just like, fuck. So I have to wait for six hours, but at least I got something for the pain. I was in pain, but nothing too crazy. So I waited six hours for the ambulance to come to transport me from that hospital to San Gabriel. Finally, at San Gabriel, they admit me, they check me in, and I just go through a whole fucking issue of problems with my medications because nobody wants to give an addict pain meds. Nobody wants to give an addict volume because they're not a detox facility. They're a hospital, and that's why you're supposed to go to detox facilities, right? So I'm fighting with the doctor a little bit because she won't give me the medications I need to sleep. I haven't slept again for, at this point, it's like three or four days. I haven't eaten in three or four days. So I asked to speak to the doctor. She comes in. I said, look, I understand your situation. I just look like a fucking drunk on paper, but I've done four hospices. I have two jobs. I take care of my family. I was like, I'm just trying to get home to my family. You know, like girls there with the dogs. This is what I need to be home. My, you know, I need to take care of my shit. That's all I'm trying to do here. I'm not trying to get high. I'm not trying to have fun. I just need this. I'm going to ask you something. The doctor kind of looked at me and was like, okay. And she gave me the medication I needed. That night, I get a call from my buddy Frappalap, who's been on the show a couple times. And I answer the, the phone in the room. I'm like, what the fuck? I didn't even know I had a phone. <laughs> and he says, what are you doing in my hood? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, that's my hospital. That's where I work. I'm like, oh, no shit. So right away, it was cool. I touched base with somebody. I couldn't get a hold of my girl because they had transferred me so many different places and I don't have any numbers memorized that I didn't have memorized in the sixth or eighth grade, right? So she thinks I'm dead because all she hears is I, the only person I can get a hold of with noodles. So I called him and I said, hey, tell her that I'm fine. They just needed to take me to the hospital. Everything's okay. And I should be out in a couple days. So... He gets a message to her. She calls. She's trying to run me down. Nobody knows where I am. That rehab fucking sucked. They had no record of me even being there, even though she was emergency contact. They had no record of me going to a hospital and then going to another hospital. So anyway, we ended up touching base. Everything was fine. I called the rehab place and was told them. I said, hey, all my stuff is on my bed. I'm going to be here for a few days. And the guy was like, holy shit. Thought I was completely bullshitting. I was like, yeah, motherfucker, just put my shit somewhere so it's safe. My phone, I had no cell phone, I had nothing on me. So finally, after four or five days, I was in the hospital for six days or six nights, seven days. I didn't eat for six of those days. And it's you're just getting fluids put, put into you, but your mouth is all chalky and dry. It's really weird. And I'm just in a constant state of, of anxiety and beating myself up. And then... Probably three days in, I realized, I was like, you know what, dude? This is the first time in a couple of years that you have more sober time than you do drunk time, right? You've built all these things up. You know, your job, your Airbnb, the business, your relationships with your friends, like trust that you've built with people. Like that's all still there. Like I didn't go out and fuck things up and do what I normally do because that's not what I want to do anymore. Right when I was younger, I'd be chasing girls and doing this and doing that and trying to fight people and trying to be cool. And I, I already know that a lot of these things were vain attempts at me to to claw at something that that wasn't there. Right. So I I start to tell myself, okay, look, when you get out, what triggered you this time? 
this person doing this. You can't control people, places or things for that matter. So when somebody else is doing something that directly affects you, you got to confront it. And I spent so much time not confronting it. I was like, that's the number one thing you have to do. Second thing, you got to spread your father's ashes. That's fucking with you and it's been on your head and you don't want to do it. You feel like you let him down, but you got to do it. You got to put that shit in the past, confront it, deal with it, and it'll be better. So I, I started to write. I started writing. I started writing all these things down, all these things that I did, things I need to add, right? I hit a huge block of depression. So you know what? Maybe I don't like depression medication. Maybe I need to go on it. I don't like the AA program 100% because of some of the people that I've been involved with that have burned me. In the program, I've had friends that just stopped talking to me that I thought were my friends because I used or I had sponsors that were telling me one thing and just trying to fuck my other, uh, you know, girlfriends and stuff like that. And it's just, they're there for the wrong reasons. So from these experiences, it jaded me and I really didn't want to do it anymore. But I have a great sponsor, this guy who's, um, he also similar field to me, very funny very cool. He doesn't talk too much about himself. He, he just gives me his experiences and kind of asked me about mine. And I said, you know what? I got to get on that. I got to start doing that. Even if I don't want to, what's the worst that could happen, right? But if you don't keep adding tools to that tool belt, you can't do the job. That's a good analogy right there. Hear that shit? <laughs> if you're trying to fix something, you only got a fucking hammer in your pot, in your belt. Like, where's the screwdriver? Where's the, the tape? Where's this? Where's that? Right? So I keep adding these things, keep adding these things, keep taking away these other things. And hopefully it gets you to a place where you're in a better off position than you were. I know I am. And I just looked at it as if I was in a fight and I got dropped. You don't fucking stay down. You get up and you figure out what you did wrong and you make those adjustments. And generally, if you do that, you can come back and win. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to fucking keep my head above water and, and do what's right and keep helping those around me and get away from myself because when I'm stuck in myself is nothing good comes to that shit right so I know this was a lot guys and I know this is uh, definitely something that is unique to me but I also feel like it's important for me to share and let people know my experiences and the, the shit I've done wrong and I'm blessed with a lot of a lot of things in life I got great people that were constantly checking on me, people that were willing to send me money, people that were willing to check on my my uh you know the the house and make sure everything was good here and I really appreciate that shit. And losing faith in people, which is, you know, what a lot of this COVID did, did it really divided the country and people were posting all this crap on the internet about where where they stand this and that, and it makes, makes you fucking dislike people, makes you hate people, makes you annoy people, people that you love, family, you know, friends, stuff like that, it's just like, this fucking person's an idiot, I don't even want to talk to this person anymore, and losing those, that faith in humanity is a big one for me, because it's just, it's one of those things where, yeah, we're not perfect, we're not perfect as a country, we're not perfect as a fucking, as people, but you got to keep trying to better those situations, and we've come a long way. I know I've come a long way. This country's come a long way. Most people I know that are trying to really work and do things for their family have come a long way. So, you know, we're flawed by nature. But I think that I just got to keep getting my ass to work every day, keep doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to be fine. I know I'll be fine. So 
yeah hopefully this message wasn't too crazy for you guys <laughs> hope i didn't lose like half my followers because like, this guy's a fucking maniac but it is what it is i was just trying to be super honest with you guys and let you know where i was coming from so hopefully out of this message you get a little bit of a uh, insight too so take care stay well my friends god bless and we'll see you next time all right loot